Chapter 5. One-Eyed Wealth Commences with a quote. The wealthy man is not he who has the most money, but he who needs the least to live well, and is happy with what he has. At no stage of my life have I been able to imagine how beautiful and wonderful the next stage was going to be, as God continued to pour out his blessings. I've experienced more blessings than I could have ever asked for or desired. Let me state very clearly that God can bless us in many different ways, not just financially. Health, family, purpose, peace, thrift, safety, talents, shelter, food, clothing, skills, friendship, employment, discernment, leadership ability, new experiences, opportunities to share his love, education, fears annihilated, the removal of unwanted desires, the list goes on. All of these can be blessings from God. And blessings can even come to us in the form of an old car. My faithful Toyota is old enough to vote, has clocked enough miles to circumnavigate the earth nine times, it could even be ten times, but the odometer stopped working a while ago, so I'm not sure, and yet it still just keeps plugging away at minimal expense. I must also restate that wealth is certainly not always a sign of God's blessings. Some argue that obedience to God's law is a guaranteed way of gaining wealth, but there are plenty of very dedicated Christians who are not financially blessed. There are also many wealthy people who have no respect for God and are often purposefully disobedient to his laws. If financial blessings were a guaranteed direct sign of God's approval, then how could we explain wealthy drug dealers and rich slave traders? Equally so, Facing financial struggles is not necessarily a sign of disobedience to God, nor of his disapproval. There are millions of devout Christians living in poverty. And the Bible also includes passages where we are explicitly commanded to turn our backs on the things of this world, including wealth. So it could even be obscurely argued that disobedience to God's commands leads to wealth. I do believe, however, with absolute certainty that obedience to God's commands, and we'll discuss what this might mean later, does lead to blessings, though not necessarily wealth. And I equally believe that disobedience to God's commands leads to curses, though not necessarily poverty. There is no question that God wants to bless his people in every way he can. But not all blessings are equal in their effect on the recipient, and some are harder to handle than others. Wealth, talents, power, respect, intellect, good looks. Just like a warming fire, each of these can be a huge blessing, but they can also become massively destructive curses. In fact, in and of themselves, they are neither blessings nor curses. They are neutral. It's how we respond to receiving them and how we use them that causes them to tip one way or the other. Then there are those strange, often unwanted Blessings in disguise, problems, pain, and opportunities to learn from adversity. Maybe these are actually the best blessings of all. As C.S. Lewis so poignantly penned, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The beautiful Beatitudes in Matthew 5 certainly also give the impression that mourning, humility, and even persecution can result in blessings. 
even if they are not always obvious blessings in and of themselves. This book, however, is biased. The primary type of blessing described on these pages is financial, and there are three main reasons for this bias. First, many Christians see the relationship between their money and their spirituality as a very private subject, something to be battled inwardly, not discussed openly. As a result, the spiritual dimensions of money, assets and investments are rarely examined. Second, although I daily experience God's other blessings in many aspects of my life, it is the financial blessings and the myriad of challenges and temptations that accompany them that I've found to be the most difficult type of blessing to manage. And finally, the principles learned in the management of financial blessings are equally applicable to managing many other types of blessings. I should also admit a fourth reason. God has apparently been somewhat selective in the ways he has blessed me. He hasn't blessed me with the ability to sing, to dance, or to juggle six balls. My intellect is average at best, and I'm only good-looking to people who can't resist middle-aged, balding, skinny guys. (laughs) So, financial blessings it is. If your blessings are not in the form of income, beyond your daily needs, or high levels of assets, try to insert your specific blessing or blessings, singing ability, artistic skill, talents, intellect, good looks, great health, sporting ability, leadership, or public speaking prowess, into the story wherever affluence, money, or wealth are mentioned. If you are not a follower of Christ, you might still glean something from the principles and practices that Jesus taught as a way of enriching and focusing your daily life. I've lived and worked in and travelled through many countries where Christianity is not the main religion. As I've socialised, employed and networked with people of many faiths, I've come to realise that the issues I address in this book are not peculiar to followers of Jesus. Jews, Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists and Confucians are all facing, as individuals and as entire religions, the spiritual battles that credit-fuelled living brings. Ask any spiritual elderly person what the greatest threats are to faith today and, regardless of their religion, materialism will rank highly on their list. In every nation on earth, faith is fighting finance and it may never have faced such a foe. We can all probably agree that wealth is relative. We each have our own personal view on what it means to be wealthy or rich. As Erasmus The Dutch humanist and theologian once said, In the valley of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And just as a person can be cursing their total blindness in one eye and yet still have far superior vision to other people, we can also be financially wealthy without realising it. In fact, affluent is probably a better word than wealthy to describe many Christians today. Affluence is also relative. I personally define it as having more than you need to live. It's a situation where a person or family has money, property or possessions beyond their real needs. Of course, in this absolutely topsy-turvy, inside-out, credit-craving age, it is possible to be affluent, to have more than we really need, and yet still be blue-faced strangled by debt. What a pitiful situation. Due to the unrelenting bombardment of advertising and media, our ideas of what we need are often so incredibly out of whack with reality 
that we just can't see that the huge debts we incur for bigger-than-needed homes, newer-than-needed cars, flasher-than-needed lifestyles, and even more nutritious-than-needed diets are actually the cause of more stress and ill health than any other aspect of our existence. We're often blinded in both eyes to the fact that we truly are affluent because we are so overcommitted trying to keep up with what we see as society's expectations for us, and we consistently feel, and often are, financially strapped. We've come down with a bad case of affluenza, and most of us either don't know it or try to ignore it, hoping that next month's pay rise, an increase in the value of our home, an inheritance, or even a lotto win will cure us. While we were living in Nepal for a few years, I had a t-shirt embroidered with the message, The wealthy man is not he who has the most money, but he who needs the least to live well and is happy with what he has. It was very heartfelt, considering that my wife, Melinda's, and my combined wages from the humanitarian agency we worked for at the time weren't even enough to enrol our two boys in the international primary school in Kathmandu even if we didn't eat, shop, pay rent, drive, or have any other expenses. But we only had to look outside our door to realise that we were, in fact, very wealthy. The simple facts are that if you own a car, a refrigerator, a television, a house, or even a house mortgage, and a pantry with food in it, and you have access to nearby medical care and education, then you are amongst the wealthiest people in the world. I know you probably have all these things, and more, probably much more. 